when something feels overwhelming and we can't understand it or work out the way through, uh, we want something that feels complex to pay for something or, you know, we want something that's outside of us. And, and there is so, there are so many ways we can shift our emotional state with our own actions. And, and to be honest, there's no amount of expensive therapy that can transform your life without you going home and in between each therapy session, transforming your life with all the little things you do. You know, your day is an accumulation of small moments and that's why the small moments count. You're listening to the Alonement Podcast, hosted by me, Francesca Spector, author of Alonement, How to Be Alone and Absolutely Own It. Each week, I interview an inspiring new guest about the time they spend alone and why it matters to them. Ultimately, at the heart of every episode is one central question. What turns solitude into a positive, fulfilling experience? Because when alone time isn't lonely, it's alonement. My guest this week is the clinical psychologist, Dr. Julie Smith, whom you might know better by her Instagram handle, Dr. Julie, or simply as that therapist of TikTok. After first launching her YouTube channel back in late 2019, Julie became the first mental health professional to start using TikTok for sharing advice and education around mental health. Her 60-second videos, which involve lip-syncing, dancing, and handy props, proved a lifeline to many during the pandemic, and it's no surprise that her book, Why Has No One Ever Told Me This Before?, soared straight to the top of the Sunday Times non-fiction bestseller list. Julie has worked relentlessly over the past three years and across multiple mediums to educate millions about how to improve their emotional health. Her toolkit involves brilliant practical strategies like one of my favourites, creating a physical self-soothing box filled with comforting things like a tea bag to take out when you're feeling low. I can't wait to get to know the woman behind one of the internet's most loved social media presences and to learn more about how to use alone time for better emotional health. Before we get to our conversation, I want to give a big shout out to this season's sponsors, Flashpack. Flashpack is a travel company for solo travellers, providing boutique group adventures all around the world, from staying on a secret island in the Arctic to glamping on the Serengeti. Its adventures are targeted specifically for solo travellers in their 30s and 40s, so if you feel like you've slightly moved on from staying in hostels with gap year students on your solo trips away, then this is the holiday for you. Much like Alonement, Flashpack is a community built around the power of going solo and their trips are an opportunity to meet like-minded people who share the same independent outlook as you. They're on a mission to create one million meaningful friendships across the world through the power of adventure. And it sounds like it's working. 80% of Flashpackers stay in touch after returning from their trips. If this sounds good to you, head to flashpack.com slash alonement, where you'll find an exclusive offer code for all Alonement podcast listeners, giving you £100 off your dream adventure. 
really alone time has been has meant different things to me throughout my life I'm actually I was a very shy child um I'm very naturally introverted no one would believe me looking at my social media profile now (laughs) um but I but I am and you know for sort of the best part of my life probably my perfect day would be to be alone with a book somewhere out in nature you know that kind of I like alone time I have liked alone time and and in the past it it has meant um sort of replenishment time for me you know I find sort of social interaction and talking to people quite exhausting and I need to replenish from that and so alone time has always meant that for me it's always been sort of nourishment um but actually in the last couple of years um alone time has changed and it's not it's not downtime anymore actually it's work time and because I normally you know my downtime I have three children so the house is noisy and full of life and in a wonderful way but then the time when the like now when the house is quiet it's because all the children are at you know nursery or school and and I'm supposed to be working and so there's sort of pressure on that alone time but also then I don't have any colleagues I don't have anyone to kind of chat to or have adult conversation during the day so I kind of I realized that you know perhaps times in my life when I was working in communal offices and the NHS and things like that I did get a lot out of um, being with other humans and connecting with them all day even though it felt tiring for me I do get something from it so so actually my kind of relationship with being alone is definitely sort of evolving and changing I think. I'm so surprised to hear though by the the way because (laughs) I think people see and you know it actually reminds me as well of um of Zoella because I think you know she's also you know she also speaks a lot about being an introvert and both of you are really huge on social media and I think people watching your videos which is so funny and so vibrant and so you know so playful I think you know I, I was watching one the other day of you jumping in jumping out dancing people sort of associate those things with extroversion do you think that there's a coincidence there with the way that actually a lot of people who are quite you know quote-unquote big on social media can also be quite introverted behind the camera yeah I don't know actually I think I think it was one way that enabled me to reach lots of people while still being alone but actually even the process of making videos I find really exhausting. I don't know whether um, someone who's extrovert would also find that exhausting. Um, uh, is the sort of process of communication? I don't know because actually, you know, when I when I work as a as a psychologist and I'm I'm doing psychological therapies and I'm sat in a room with someone one to one, that feels different. I think that can be very tiring, but but also there's something about being the person who's sort of absorbing rather than giving out. Uh, yeah, I mean, with the process of kind of making videos, even though there's nobody there, I'm not sort of connecting with somebody in that moment. I'm communicating, and that that sort of having to gear yourself up to to express that energy and and think about how you're coming across, and that that often feels depleting for me. So actually, the process of creating the videos, you know, it looks all kind of bouncy and joyous, and that that maybe that's how I am all the time, and and I'm really I'm not really, um, you know, I can kind of I think some of my more recent videos have been a sort of bit calmer and where I'm kind of sat here at my desk and talking that's probably more reflective of me more of the time and I do have that kind of fun side but 
Do you know, it kind of makes um, it makes me think of when I was younger, actually, and I while I would be sort of shy um, in introvert on a sort of one to one basis, I really enjoyed um, sort of theatre work and things like that. And I, I remember always thinking about how because uh, it used to sort of shock my family and things that I would be interested in that kind of thing. But there was something easier about having an audience where you, you couldn't identify the individuals. You know, I I could perform in front of 300 people, but if I'm sat in front of three people talking to them, that was more difficult for me. Um, and there's something about sort of making those videos that's a sort of when I, I I'm I've notoriously all the way through not really been interested in numbers so much. You know, my husband will kind of keep track of things and say, oh, this is doing well or that's not doing well and those kind of things. Um but to me it's kind of a number because I can't see the individual faces. That helps me, I think. That's so um, interesting. Yeah, that's... people I mean you have a huge amount of followers. You're getting on for like hundreds of thousands. Are you getting on for a million now? You're getting on for crazy numbers. Yeah, so we've got um 3.1 million on TikTok and then it's uh we're over 600 and something thousand on Instagram and I think 93,000 on YouTube now. So yeah, across platforms it's sort of um about three and a half million, I think. Wow, but probably quite hard to absorb. So it may be, you know, if you're actually looking at those numbers and thinking what that represents, I guess for you, it's just, it's it's more than three, right? It's that big theatre audience effectively. Yeah, yeah, I guess so. I guess if you line those people up, that would feel suddenly really intimidating. But because <laughs> it's a little number on a little screen, you can sort of um, bypass the the idea that, that these are all kind of eyeballs watching and stuff. So um, yeah, it's amazing how you become not numb to it but it just gets easier over time coming on to the advice that you that you give from you know from reading your book I found it really interesting that it's not it's not necessarily explicit in fact it's not explicit at all but a lot of the practices that you recommend do involve If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Being alone, there's a lot of sort of sitting back and doing things like you talk a lot about journaling or sort of mindful, uh, mindful walking, general mindfulness. Um, and, you know, and also things like being able to talk back to your inner critic. Um, and that all comes under the idea of self-soothing. Why do we need to self-soothe and have those sort of quote-unquote alone practices, even in a world where we benefit so much from interconnection? 
Sure. And, and, you know, self-soothing is, is a skill that's taught in DBT, dialectical behavior therapy, as a skill to help people manage um, in almost intolerable, painful emotions. So emotion that might otherwise cause people to use unhealthy coping strategies or dangerous coping strategies. Um, those kind of skills are taught. So the idea is that you can experience painful emotion and um, you can soothe your way through it and, and comfort yourself and help yourself to feel safe while that emotion passes. Um, so it's really about helping people to kind of stay safe. And and I guess those are those can be done in connection with another person, but not everybody has that other person that they trust or that is helpful to them. And so um, we have to start with us. And, you know, I would, I'm an absolute advocate for, you know, social connection is, is, you know, everything. It's, it's so helpful to us on so many levels for all kinds of healing or dealing with stress. And, you know, that's, we're built to be social beings, right. But we have to be able to manage emotion and, and painful experience, even when those other people aren't there, because those are the, we can't control other people. We can't control whether they are going to be present when we most need them. And so a lot of my work is around, um, there's a lot of talk online about, you know, whether people are saying the right thing and doing the right thing and, you know, whether they're offending us or, or triggering us or, or saying something supportive. And a lot of my work is around learning how to be the voice that you need to hear for yourself. So, you know, if there are things that you need to hear, uh, or, or, you know, need from, from others when you're struggling, what would that look like if you were to be that person for yourself? You know, what, what kind of things would you need to be saying to yourself? What kind of things would you need to be doing for yourself that would help you through a really difficult moment? And, and that's not to the exclusion of support. That's uh, another tool in the box. So, you know, if, if there isn't anybody there at one point and you're really, really struggling, but you know, you can get through this, you know, by yourself, then, then you're more well equipped to get through some really tough times. The conversation around social media in that respect is really interesting, I think, because you're right. The term triggered is such, is such a thing. It's, it's almost become a cliche in and of itself. I'm not saying it's not useful sometimes but it it has become a cliche and do you think perhaps from what you're saying that we could benefit from focusing more on the feeling the feeling of being triggered and why why something is triggering us almost exploring that rather than blaming you know what can sometimes just be a faceless person on the internet yeah yeah absolutely I think the word trigger from from my experience came from the sort of the, the clinical arena in terms of talking with people about uh, PTSD and, you know, um, a trigger meant that that some sort of um, internal or external event would trigger um, a severe symptom like a flashback. So I used to work with with people in the Ministry of Defence who perhaps had trauma responses and something like I don't know the sound of a helicopter might trigger a severe uh, flashback and and that would be you know a big event for that person very difficult to deal with and I guess that term has been sort of uh, taken out of the therapy room and is perhaps used more widely 
and and in some senses maybe it's used to um to suggest that you know an emotion has been triggered you know that that something external has triggered an emotion in me and now I'm uncomfortable or I'm in a sort of painful place and 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 that's you know that's fair um but at the same time I think we have to be really um aware of of the process in terms of we don't have to be at the mercy of um, triggers. We don't have to be at the mercy of those emotions. And that's really the core of a lot of my work is emotional experiences are part of being human and things will trigger emotion. That's how we're built. And so when they do, do we have the, the tools in that toolbox to be able to get ourselves through that and manage it? Um, because we can't control the world and we can't eliminate all triggers and and why would we why would we want to be emotionless why would we not want to and and I get that people don't want to experience really really painful emotions um, that they're not equipped to deal with but then I think the answer is more about equipping ourselves to deal with painful emotions so that we can get through it because it is an inevitable part of of human life Um, and there are some really really helpful tools to help us through painful experience and once we have those tools, this is a great bit about it. Once we have those tools, we don't need to fear being triggered because we know we can get ourselves through it. And, and once you have those tools, no one can take them away from you. If you're putting those into daily practice, um, you you feel stronger, you feel more able to uh, manage whatever comes up. And then you feel less fear about what's ahead because you know you can manage the really tough moments. I think that's super inspiring and super useful probably for a lot of people listening to this because I think it's it's quite easy to feel quite passive about the internet sometimes. You know, I said earlier, I feel so great when I look at your videos, but sadly your content isn't 100% of the internet. It, you know, there's also there's also all sorts of, you know, Twitter debates and quite again, another internet cliche, but quite toxic things that you can come up to. And I love that idea that you, or that general philosophy that you kind of talk about having that toolkit and and putting that responsibility on you to sort of grow and, and learn to navigate that. And one of the things that I really liked actually when I came across in your book is that as I understand it, emotional toolkit emotional toolkit can be used in an abstract way but you actually talk about a self-soothing box like a like a physical thing could you explain more about this concept for the benefit of listeners who might not have read that yet yeah sure I think I actually have one here somewhere oh um uh, but that I would was in my therapy room at some point and we've used it to make videos with but um I have a sort of um a little wooden box I keep in my therapy room and because this is something that is taught again in DBT um which is the idea that okay if you're going to teach self-soothing that's fine to do that in the therapy room when everything is fine um then when really painful overwhelming emotion hits you your brain is geared up to kind of bypass your problem solving because problem solving takes time right so when you're in a you know full-on fight or flight mode you haven't, your brain doesn't think you've got time to sit and problem solve. So it goes with the quickest, easiest route out of that situation or the thing that's going to make you feel safe, which is often the unhealthy thing. 
thing that it knows best at the time so the idea is you want to prepare for these really difficult moments and a self-soothing box really is um your kind of sos you know first aid box where and you, you put things inside it that can or might help you through really painful emotion and those are generally things that you associate with safety with comfort um, and the other things that are going to help you through. So it can be really, really simple things like um, the telephone number of your best friend that you can trust and call at any time of the day um, with a little note saying, you know, call this person. So you just find it and you follow the instruction. Or it could be, you know, a tea bag and a chocolate bar that will just help you through a difficult moment. Or it could be some photographs of a holiday that that you know you loved and that you want to do again in the future and and that kind of generates nice feelings or it could be also it can be kind of sense so it could be um you know your mum's perfume that you associate with comfort or um it could be a back in the day we used to put cds in there right because you know that's how you listen to music but nowadays i'm not sure how you would do that but maybe a maybe the kind of a prompt to listen to a certain playlist of music that you associate with calm with safety or you know things that that will shift your emotional state in the direction you want it to go so it can be a whole manner of things that you can throw in there's no real rules about what goes in there as long as it are it's a, a bunch of things that will help you through really difficult moments when you otherwise might be using dangerous or unhealthy coping strategies um, and the idea is that you put it all in one place and you put that somewhere that's easily accessible. So we would get people to put it sort of, you know, just slid under the bed or whatever. Um, so that, you know, when, when you find yourself triggered and you are overwhelmed, it's right there. You haven't got to think through, what do I do? What do I need? How can I access that thing that I need? It's all right there. And you can just start using the right coping strategies. Oh, um, I just love that. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's great, isn't it? And and I've seen people use it to really good effect when people might have otherwise been really vulnerable to really dangerous coping strategies that put them at risk. Um, and, and they just, you know, it's, it's preparing in advance. What am I going to do differently? Yeah. People often say, oh, I'm not going to buy that chocolate or those biscuits because... I'll, I'll just eat them because they'll just be there. It's that idea of something sort of being within within grasp. But these lovely, soothing things being in grasp, it it makes it, I guess it means that you just don't have to think about it. It's just there. And especially from the vantage point of someone who lives alone, and I'm sure a lot of people listening to this might live alone or be single or have some sort of, have a you know situations in their life where there isn't necessarily someone else there I think it can be quite difficult for you know while there are lots of lovely things about living alone or having aloneness in your life one of the difficult things about living alone is that lack of novelty because I think with other people they can have that novelty that sort of arm's length approach where they're not trapped in the emotion that you are therefore they can make helpful suggestions like I don't know, why don't you have a cup of tea? Or, you know, that's the classic way that we soothe each other as British people. Or, you know, why don't you put a blanket on? You look really cold. So, you know, take this blanket or turn the heating on or all of that. And I think that there's almost that kind of nice externalization, like there is another person there, but it all comes from you. It's almost, I don't know, it's almost like your past self 
giving your current or future self a hand. Yeah, absolutely. And and it's all about getting through difficult moments. So, you know, it's 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 okay to um suggest things beyond that. So for example, I don't know, some people might see, you know, oh gosh, if I put a a chocolate bar and a self-soothing but that's an unhelpful coping strategy and you know, I can't eat my way through um, but really this is about so self-soothing uh, coping strategies are about getting through the hardest moments so often in DBT we'll, we'll draw out a sort of graph where we show the fluctuation so normal um uh, fluctuations in kind of emotions go up and down normally right that's what everybody has ups and downs but when those ups and downs get more extreme and you've got these real spikes in emotion and the peaks of those spikes are overwhelming, intense moments that are just really difficult. And when you might otherwise be really, really vulnerable to doing something that's going to either harm you or make you vulnerable to something. Um, so, you know, some people might say, okay, well, if you are lonely, you know, don't grab a blanket, go out and find someone. Well, actually in those really, really difficult moments, you're not able to, it's about getting through this moment now. It's, so it's a temporary measure and actually, you know, maybe a warm blanket and a cup of tea, um, on your favorite TV show is getting through that really difficult moment in the middle of the night when you feel, when you're grieving and you're alone and those kind of things. It doesn't mean you then won't do the really healthy coping strategies tomorrow in the morning where you go out for, you know, coffee with friends. That's great. But these are the temporary get through the moment um, and and stay safe coping strategies. Mm, mm. And, And they're simple things. And I think that that's really nice. One of the many moments in your book where my brain was just like, ding, 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 this is so brilliant, was you were talking quite early on about the idea of low mood and how, and, and sorry, I'm, I'm probably you know paraphrasing a bit here, but you said that actually we don't need to reach for these sort of, you know, radical solutions. We can look for smaller things. It's not about these huge actions, but the important thing in that low mood is that we do act which I think was so important because it's quite easy to feel very paralyzed in those low moods. What was the the thinking behind that necessarily, that talking about sort of acting through those low moods, like doing rather than necessarily just feeling or thinking? Yeah, it's a really difficult um, kind of situation, isn't it? Because when you're, when you're low in mood and, and someone tells you to do something simple, uh, like have a cup of tea or go for a walk or have a bath or something. It feels almost, um, what's the word? It feels almost kind of demoralizing. Like what? <laughs> That's not going to fix my problems. And it's not right. It's not going to suddenly make you completely happy. But at the same time, when you're really low in mood, it's much, much harder to do anything more complex or, um, you know, everything feels full of effort when we're low in mood. And so um, we we don't feel able to do big, grand things, big, grand changes. But at the same time, we sort of minimize the impact that small changes could have. So the things that feel manageable to us, we then tell ourselves that, well, they don't count anyway. They won't make enough of a difference. And so and then we feel that paralyzed kind of feeling, don't we? Of Well, well then what can I do? I can't do anything. And um, and actually those those small things are like drops of 
drops of cordial in a big jug of water. So if you put one drop in, that might be your, I don't know, your morning cup of tea sat in the garden or something, trying to absorb some sunlight. And it doesn't feel like it's going to make any big change in your life. And it doesn't really, you know, that that one drop of cordial doesn't suddenly change the color of that water. If you then add in, I don't know, a dog walk, or then, you know, then add in a phone call to a family member that always lifts you up a little bit. And then you add in getting a couple of those jobs done that you've been, you've been sort of hovering over you for ages, but it makes you feel good that you did them. And then you add in something else and something else. And, and each of that, as you sort of add in you know, drops of cordial to the, to the water, none of them individually changes anything because they kind of just, you know, get absorbed into the, into the sort of water as a whole. But over time when they accumulate right and over time you notice that the color the general color of that water begins to change and I feel like it happens in that way with these small habits and small routines is they they each accumulate to change the general feel of a day so if you have enough positive uh healthy routines and rituals in your day they do add up to make a difference and and when you're feeling low, small differences count. And, and often when we were sort of working with people who are, you know, very unwell with, with depression, for example, all of those things matter because you have to lift someone to a point where you have to sort of get, you know, get their mood lifted to a point where they're then able to engage in the more complex stuff of working out what's going on and then healing but you have to build up your strength to be able to do that so all of those small behaviors really count and if there's something you can do just because you might enjoy it and you can add a little dose of joy into your day then absolutely that is that is really powerful stuff and you know it can be something really simple like you know I'm going to sit and have a cup of tea while I FaceTime a friend and we're just going to have 15 minutes together mid-morning well okay let's do that and something that seems pretty small like that can make a good shift to your day Mm. I really love that and I also love that you know you're you're here with years and years of academic training telling people this telling people to reach for these simple solutions because I think it almost gives a gravity to how important they are in a way that maybe hearing it from, I don't know, one's mother or one's best friend or whatever might not feel almost convincing enough. The fact that you're here saying this feels very important. Yeah. And, and it's interesting, isn't it? We kind of, we want something, uh, when something feels overwhelming and we can't understand it uh, or work out the way through. Uh, this Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard Fixed Indemnity Insurance Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at UH1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. 
Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. We want something that feels complex. We want something that feels um, you know, or to pay for something or, you know, we want something that's outside of us. And, and there is so, there are so many ways we can shift our emotional state, um, with our own actions. And, and to be honest, there's no amount of, you know, expensive therapy that can transform your life without you going home and in between each therapy session, transforming your life with all the little things you do you know your day is an accumulation of small moments and that's why the small moments count you know they're like bricks in your house they all matter you start taking any out and the house becomes unstable um and you have to treat the small moments with that kind of importance I think how does that correlate with the ability to spend time alone because yeah, I can certainly speak for myself with this. I was never very good at doing those things when I wasn't able to spend time alone because sitting there having a cup of tea by myself or even going to something more, uh, I don't know, more traditionally self-helpy like journaling, that meant spending time alone. And baseline, that wasn't something I was good at. So how do you see that relationship? Yeah, I think it's interesting, isn't it, how that's changed over time as well, because I think uh, for, for me personally, when I was younger, I found it easier to be alone and, and actually more pleasant to be alone than otherwise. Whereas now I think our ability to be still and be alone is being eroded by this constant um sort of snapping up of our attention and to the point where you know if I'm alone and and sometimes I'll be I'll be doing something like I don't know I'm gonna go and brush my teeth or something and the house is quiet and I'll put something on YouTube and watch that while I'm brushing my teeth and I think what am I doing you know why why am I finding it intolerable to just be quiet for two minutes while I you know brush my teeth and um and I think that that's a real shift that we have to be aware of um, and I think it, it comes down to self-awareness for sure um, that we, if we keep acting and in response to, you know, kind of numbing out to the, you know, anything that painful that could come up when we're alone without thinking it through, then we just carry on as we are. But as soon as we become aware of it, I like for yourself, you know, you became aware of actually being alone is really difficult. What now? what am I going to do about this? And, and then you open up the chance to, to find solutions or try out different ways of, of tackling a problem. Um, so I think it is about sort of noticing 
being aware of how we're feeling and then trying out different things and coming at it with curiosity. You know, why is this difficult for me? What if I tried this? What comes up when? And those kind of things. Mm. Yeah, curiosity is an interesting word there. And that's something that I do think that you, I guess, do develop from mindfulness, from journaling, because you kind of have to, if you're doing those things, you have to be curious about your own emotions. That That's almost what it's for. You've assigned space to do it in. Yeah. And it really shifts it from, I think we have this tendency to go straight into self-judgment that, oh, you know, why can't I be alone or why can't, you know, why is that painful for me? And, oh, I'm so this, I'm so that. And, and it turns into a, why am I not doing as well as everybody else kind of self-attack? And actually, um, you know, that's probably a big part of, of what, you know, I, me and other people do in therapy is, is getting people to shift from that self-blame for, for discomfort into curiosity, because we can't learn from self-blame. That just becomes something that induces shame that we then um, hide away from. And, and we can't learn if effectively in that situation to, to be able to solve a problem. We have to look at it with curiosity and withhold our judgment with the aim of un- first understanding. Yeah. Um, otherwise it it just becomes impossible to to work it out yeah completely Uh, and I you know I guess my curiosity a few years ago at thinking oh I'm an extrovert who's not very good at spending time alone it's exactly the same as an introvert maybe looking at themselves with curiosity and saying oh you know why is it that I do tend to avoid being around lots of people all the time it really is there's no sort of good or bad it is just the way we're wired quite often or the stage of our lives that we're in as we've spoken about Um, but there's that sense of curiosity can be quite important I am I'm interested you talk about journaling and how that can be a really good space to almost shape and think about the values that you then want to you want to go on and inform your actions with do you think that having alone time or you know as I call it alone month as a value in and of itself can be helpful do you think it's useful to have do you think it's useful to sort almost explicitly identify that as a value um, in and of itself that you want to be able to spend time alone that's positive rather than what we often do which is fall into alone time that's negative and lonely yeah absolutely I think um I mean I'm a psychologist so I'm biased but I think there's nothing more valuable than uh self-discovery and learning about how you work and how how you're able to to function and what your value system is and and going back to that and and reevaluating and you know there's only things to gain from doing that i think valuable alone time as we talked before you know has to come with with that certain mindset of curiosity so i'm i'm here not to um hammer myself about my mistakes and ruminate about the past i'm here to uh have this time that can be useful to me and for time to be useful to you, it has to be um, not full of self-attack and self-loathing. 
Um, it has to be self-reflective and, um, you know, compassionate and honest and, and all of those things. So um, I think, you know, time alone for someone who has depression, for example, can become uh, really detrimental in a sense that if if that time is spent purely ruminating on past regrets or, you know, when you so ruminating is that kind of thoughts washing machine where you just churn over and over and over the same thing that is making you feel worse and worse and worse. That kind of alone time can be really damaging and, and rumination predicts the main maintaining of depression over time. But if that alone time is very intentional and specific and it has a clear um a clear sort of mindset and a clear goal around it in terms of yes this is how I'm going to be with with myself um for this because of this value that I hold then fantastic how do you get that balance almost in what you're recommending as a psychologist because I imagine there's a tight there's a tough tightrope to tread between you know saying to someone oh you know do these practices alone but also having maybe that awareness that when people are are depressed or are getting towards more low moods they might retreat in a way that isn't healthy I I don't know is, is that is that a difficult one to balance that because you don't necessarily it's it's hard to know how much alone time to recommend versus how much yeah social connection yeah absolutely and that's where um in the book I sort of included you know the, the journal prompts and things like that because it's kind of not enough to say we'll go and you know start journaling it's like well well what do I you know what do I write and how do, what do I reflect on and those kind of things and um if it's a if it's a journey of self-discovery or recovery um then there are you know they the journal prompts act as kind of guideposts to to prompt you in a certain direction which is often what a therapist does you know if you're sitting in a therapy room with somebody they'll be asking some certain questions that will just kind of you know shift you in one direction and and you then do the exploring and you come up with whatever you come up with but you um you are just sort of guided in a certain direction um and and if you kind of go down a you know a rabbit hole of rumination then a therapist will kind of you know pull you back and and guide you with a different question for example so uh, you know that's where the the having a little bit of a guide in terms of things like journal prompts can help to keep it kind of focused and stuff like that um but it's it's always being aware that low mood and depression will give you the urge to do the things that will keep you stuck and so the more we get to recognize that yes i have the urge to just sort of sit here and and think about that thing that happened yesterday that i felt embarrassed about is being able to then put a stop to that at some point and and move into this healthier coping strategy which is very very easy to say really hard to do when you're in it um and that's where having the social support is becomes really really helpful um so if you can have someone on board um who knows you and trusts you uh and that you trust them um to help you in that process then that can be invaluable but you know realistically there are people out there who don't have a person that they can trust or they don't have access to therapy and and so they're really sort of working by themselves and that's when 
writing things down can be really, really helpful. Certainly I found personally, you know, when I was growing up, whenever I was sort of, you know, struggling to deal with something or trying to work something out, I would, I wasn't a big talker. I would write things down and, and I would get such clarity from being able to just, just write expressively and, and write down what I was thinking and feeling and what next. And, um, and I found that sort of personally helpful, but then as I, you know, got to do all the research and and realized that actually there's lots of evidence base for, uh, expressive writing, um, and journaling in certain ways that, that can be really, really helpful for getting people through, through really difficult times. Can you clarify exactly what expressive writing is compared to just just writing what, what what's the difference and what makes that positive in the same way that sometimes maybe ruminating on something in written form might not be uh, yeah so so expressive writing can be um it, it's, it's writing down your thoughts your feelings what what your experience is so so it's a way of sort of expressing how you feel and what you think and your urges to do or not do certain things so you kind of get it out on the, onto the page there's no um kind of set rules about how you do that or what you write it's really an expression of your experience to help you get some clarity on it in the way that you might express yourself verbally in a therapy session mm. could you <laughs> could you compare it effectively to a thought dump it's effectively everything that's coming to you at once yeah, absolutely. And then because sometimes that process can really help you to identify rumination as well. When it's in your head and you're you're going about your day on autopilot, you could be ruminating the whole time and not really be aware of it. But when you when you do a thought dump or some expressive writing and you kind of you get it out to the page, you can see your you can physically see it in front of you <laughs> if you're going around in circles. Yeah. And and there's something about that awareness. You know, people use the word awareness all the time and it's because it's so crucial. You cannot solve a problem without first being aware of what that problem is. And so if there's anything like expressive writing or talking to someone that can help you to become aware of that cycle that you're stuck in, that opens up this window of opportunity to then do something different. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, one thing I always think about and this, you know, it's it's very basic, but you can't write down the same thought again and again. I remember doing lines at school when I had detention and, you know, writing down, you know, I feel angry at said person again and again and again for like an hour would just be like doing those lines. But I think we do it in our heads the whole day without realizing it. Yeah, absolutely. And and each time you re-trigger whatever emotional response comes with that. And so, you know, if you kind of, I don't know, if you have an argument with someone, uh, some people will will then replay that argument over and over in their minds for the rest of the day and each time feel a new uh, rise of of whatever emotion comes with that and be just as upset as they were the first time round and and you're you're just re-triggering that emotional response and and it's okay to re-trigger emotional response when you're then doing something with it that's going to help you move forward if you're just going around and around in circles and like replaying a movie over and over again, um, it's not as helpful as if you are replaying it in order to reframe it or look at it differently or um, help you understand it in a way that's going to help you to recover from it. Hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I think, I think it's really, I don't know. I think we talk about journaling quite a lot. It's almost become quite a cliche, but I love breaking down why it actually is so important 
a practice you know sometimes I wonder whether you know we as writers might feel biased towards something like journaling or whether someone who isn't who doesn't sort of define themselves as a quote-unquote writer would think that that's not something that is helpful for them or might work for them from all the people that you you treat and you know also just all the people you speak to in your everyday job as an educator do you think that actually journaling can broadly be something that helps most people um I think it's it's a difficult one isn't it because some people are more able to write than others I've certainly um have people who prefer not to write maybe because they live in a household with other people and they're afraid about things being found or confidentiality and those sorts of things that, you know, you want something to feel very private and that can be a source of kind of anxiety around that. Um, and in just the same way that therapy isn't for everyone, you know, journaling isn't either. And it's all about finding the thing that works for you. And, um, you know, some people find physical movement more helpful than putting words to things. I mean, there's, there's lots of evidence that if you can, put labels to emotions um uh there's a research that calls it emotional granularity that if you can if you can find a word to just and it doesn't have to be the same word that everybody else uses this is crucial but if you can find a word or a a sentence to describe a specific feelings that you have in different situations that that sets you up to be more able to deal with that discomfort because you you can kind of set that in in your mind as I know what this is and then therefore I know you know better how to deal with it so having words and finding words to describe how you feel is really really helpful there's lots of evidence around that um, that it improves outcomes even if you don't use the words in your language you know if there's no clear you know word for how I feel when the postman turns up and knocks on the door which fills me with you know, fear, then if there's no clear word to describe that, you can use words from other languages, you can make up your own word, but it just, if you have a label for it in your own mind, it enables you to go, yes, this is familiar. I know what this is, then then I can do something with it. Um, so that's really, really helpful. And and that's, I guess, where part of the, the usefulness around journaling is. You don't have to be a prolific writer Um, it doesn't have to be readable to anyone else for it to be helpful to you emotionally. But equally, if writing is not your thing and talking is not your thing, for some people, movement is their thing. You know, some people it might be um, running or walking or um, dancing or whatever those things are. You know, physical movement is also a great way of um, expressing emotion and and processing emotion as well. And I guess... I don't know if you can necessarily call it putting a word to it, but you can put a movement to something, I guess. Mm. I don't know, even like expressive dance is a form, I suppose, of thinking, okay, when I feel this, I move like this. And it all, I don't know, at least it's not just trapped in your head. Yeah. And then that's why, you know, if you're doing a workout of some sort and you put on um, a certain track, a certain piece of music, it can completely transform the way that you go at that that workout right if you I don't know if you're trying to sprint up a hill and you put on some love song you might not feel the same 
fire in your belly to get up that hill than you would if you were listening to something that was much more upbeat and powerful or something that tapped into anger or drive or excitement or you know music was really powerful for helping us to tap into an emotion and release it um and that's why you know people listen to music when they work out because it helps them to um express themselves in a certain way so you can really play around with that everyone's different you know there are certain tracks or you know certain types of music that will tap into something in one person but not in another so you've got to play around with it yourself and um and work out what what helps you coming back to that idea of sort of expression and particularly in your book how you speak about increasing emotional vocabulary and how that you know it's really interesting how there are studies that you cite behind that how it can make you more flexible in responding to the problems in your life just by having more words for something than the baseline you know sad happy whatever being able to expand that and it it really interested me as well because I I invented the word alone month because I wanted another way of seeing alone time uh that was that was happy rather than I didn't feel like the ones that existed sufficed do you have any advice for someone who wants to almost expand their own emotional vocabulary uh, in order to, I don't know, be able to deal with their problems better and be able to have a more sophisticated, flexible attitude to their emotional health? Yeah, sure. And, and, and anything that helps you to increase your vocabulary in general helps with that. So, you know, reading different books and and lots of fiction books too you know helping helping you to kind of be exposed to new ways of describing things or you know even watching movies or going to the theater or um you know listening to lyrics on in music and and all of those things that help you to be exposed to new ways of describing new experiences um it all helps it all adds to it so you know you know I don't want to give you know people homework but you know watching watching movies is a great piece of homework in that sense um especially if it's something um in relation to what you're dealing with it can be a new way of describing this experience and and giving you a new narrative and some will work for you and some won't and um you know reading things that really challenge you so reading things that don't feel easy or where you might have to look up the odd word because you've not been exposed to it before, all of that. I mean, that if you can expand your use of language, that that only helps in, in the process um, and, and being used to kind of talking about or, or writing about emotional experience and in that process, actively searching for new ways of describing it. Um, it's only through trying those things that, that they appear. Hmm. I think that's gorgeous. And I think it's a really tangible way almost to describe how watching a film or reading a book about the experience you're going through can actually help because it gives you vocabulary to navigate it rather than, I don't know, I think some people might be wary because they might think, oh, it it might just remind me of my experience. But from what you're saying, it actually expands your ability to deal with that experience because it expands your vocabulary and reference points yeah if you if you can label an emotion 
you're halfway there. If you can notice a sensation, and that's really where mindfulness practice becomes so helpful, is it's it's sort of more formal practice at being able to step back from an emotional experience, notice it, observe it, and then choose what you're going to do with it. So allowing it to pass naturally. Um, and in the book, actually, I talk about it in terms of um, there's an old movie from the 90s with Jim Carrey called The Mask. And and in that movie, he he finds this sort of old wooden mask and it looks like nothing. It's just a piece of wood. But when he puts it on, it literally kind of grasps him around the back of the head and it changes everything he does. So it changes his emotional state, his thought process, his motivations, his behavior. And sometimes I feel like emotions can be like that. So when it's very close to you, when you're kind of in it, it can influence everything you do and say and feel and behave. But if you if you get some distance from that emotion and you're able to hold it at arm's length and observe it, then it has much less power over you in the way that when um, Stanley in the film, when Jim Carrey takes the, the mask off and he's just holding it at arm's length, it goes back to just being this little wooden mask and it has no control over his choices, his life choices. And, and so the process of mindfulness is really that process of being able to take an emotion from kind of right in front of your face where you can't see anything else to at arm's length where you can look down at it and you can observe it and think about it, make choices based on it or not. And you can also look at everything else around you because you've created this space. Um, And so you're then more able to make your life choices based on your values, what you want for your future, on other feelings as well. And you're not just basing your actions and choices on how you feel now and how you want to feel now or don't want to feel now. Um, So, you know, being able to label emotions um, is is part of that process. You, you, You observe a feeling, give it a name. And then by doing that, you're kind of giving yourself a little bit of distance. Oh, I know this one. There it is. I call that you know, X, whatever that feeling is. You're just giving yourself that arm's length that enables you to take a little bit of the power out of it. Wow. I think uh, I think this speaks to why you resonate with so many people and what, how, why you've been so incredibly successful, Dr. Julie, because I, I think that, you know, being able to take what used to be for me just a funny Jim Carrey movie and make it make it into something so profound and so that's that's just such an incredible description I think of everything that you well my my childhood spent watching Jim Carrey movies was not wasted now that I get to include it in a book (laughs) oh I think that's wonderful finally you know I'd love to hear on a more personal level what is your alone month my alignment now is probably time spent running. I, I've always been someone who benefited from running alone, even as a teenager. Um, I, I would sort of go out on my bike or running um, by myself um, in the evenings. And that would be time that I would just really, really enjoy. I would go and um, where I used to live, there was a sort of, um, uh, you would go through the forest and there was this big hill where you could kind of see the whole town and and I would go up there just before sunset and and get a glimpse of the sunset and then I'd have to race home on my bike before dark 
um, before the sun completely went down. Um, and that was really nourishing time for me from what I remember. And so now I guess alonement is similar in that I, I love being out in nature. I hate the gym. I hate, I hate be- exercising to a clock, but I love being out and around nature and in fresh air and being able to move my body, listen to music and absorb, you know, trees and lovely, you know, things about nature or down on the um, seafront or something like that. Um, that to me is so replenishing. And I can be at a point where I, I feel desperate for, you know, a holiday or a week off. And I, I'm, you know, I really just need rest badly. And I could spend a couple of hours by the sea and I feel so much better, you know, and, and there's something about that real kind of nourishing, um, being without people, but with nature that really, um, and music as well, probably, um, all of those things really sort of nourish me and replenish me very quickly. I love that. And I love, I love that that's come full circle for you yes. from your childhood as well. I know old habits die hard, right? And I, yeah, you kind of, and I guess there are certain parts of you that that remain as you change and grow um, and age, you know, there, there are kind of parts of you that just have that common thread and that you always know that if you go to this certain place or do a certain thing, you get that same feeling and you can really kind of depend on that um, in yourself. And it becomes part of your own sort of inner strength, I think, doesn't it? If you can build that awareness of who you are and what nourishes you, Um, then you've always got that. Thank you so much. And thank you for your wise words during this hour. This has been so wonderful and I can't wait to share it with listeners. Oh, thank you. I've really enjoyed it. It's been a really, really, uh, you know, one of those subjects that you just don't think to necessarily dive into, but um, yeah, really fascinating. Thank you. I mean, I don't know about you, but I think I expanded my emotional vocabulary just by having that conversation. It is such a privilege to interview people like Dr. Julie Smith on this show, and I really hope that you learned something from listening. I'd love to hear what you thought of the episode and whether you'll be creating a self-soothing box of your own. Get in touch via Instagram and Twitter at Ches Spectre, all one word, or leave a review on Apple Podcasts to let us know what you thought. If you loved this episode and think a friend might do so too, do share it on. It might just be the thing that turns their day around. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. 
Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.